Welcome to the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Ken Mink. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. We are here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're talking about input and output devices. Keyboards, mice, touchpads, trackpads, trackballs, monitors, whatever. Are you interested in promoting practical experience in the operations, DevOps, and SRE spaces? Consider sponsoring the Practical Operations Podcast. Contact us at sponsor at operations.fm for details. So with the pandemic times, everybody's become much more, hmm, I don't have a good word for it, about their keyboards, a little more touchy, a little more hipster. Yeah, there yeah. we go. <laughs> I don't and know last week, I'm ever going to get to hipster or even come <laughs> close to qualifying for that. You do have a mechanical keyboard though, don't you? Uh, I do. More than one. Ooh, there you go. Yep. You, you've crossed the line. Once, once you get off rubber dome, that's it. Model M or death. I, I was going to say, I, I think I got a good way to start this, and that is that I think that I loved, or I have typed my best on an Apple chiclet-style keyboard. <clears throat> there, I've said it. <sighs> Honestly, I loved those. The ones before the, the crap super thin whatever switches right the, like yes. the full size wired the, plug-in has a exactly. 10 keypad those are those were good keyboards, keyboards. i good. i have they probably work. two or three stashed in this house and i i the only the only negative is that i have really grown fond of my split keyboard and i wish that they sold those in a in a uh in a split format but so funny enough i actually have one of the apple adjustable ergonomic keyboards from the late 90s uses ALP switches and all that. I have a, a USB to ADB converter, but it's not the good ALP switches. So mm. it's it's better than rubber dome, but it it's it's not what you what you need it to be. It's it, yeah. Apple did Apple, make Apple some did, really good rubber dome keyboards too. They Apple did, made some but really great still rubber dome keyboards. There's only so far you <laughs> can go. So, uh, so many times me, you can legendary. bottom out your key? Yeah. Yeah. For me, the, the the legendary keyboard that Apple made though was the the Apple Extended Keyboard Two from like eighty eight to ninety three or ninety four. The nickname of it was the Nimitz after the aircraft carrier because <laughs> it was a gigantic, basically piece of metal wrapped in plastic, and the good Alps switches, and it it took a beating. Those things were absolutely ridiculously massive. And and I guess the reason I say that too though is is I. I'm wondering if some of this is from a, a keyboard preference really is maybe from what you grew up on or have the most experience with. Cause I have the most experience with the Apple style chiclet keyboards. And also before that, the, the G four MacBook pro style keyboards, which are somewhat similar, but not exactly like the chiclet. They were, they were obviously not as, in my opinion, they, they had a lot more travel or more travel and they weren't as, as nice as the chiclets. But I know that I have tried to use mechanical keyboards in the past and I just don't get the, the hype. I mean, for me, it's, it's almost too much travel. There's, it, 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 it's too, I don't know. I just don't like the feel of mechanical keyboards. So for me, it's totally how I learned programming and how I grew up. Yeah. I learned programming in a little tiny computer lab of IBM PS2s with the the Space Saver Model M keyboards. And it was this lab of like 30 of these workstations. 
and concrete floors and concrete rooms and you get 25 of your closest best friends in there on those keyboards and it 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 boggles my mind if I had one or two of those keyboards those those SSM form factor keyboards how much they are worth on eBay today and so that's that's where I learned programming and yeah, I'm I, the same same way I started out on VT100s and and the, those old school serial terminals for Unix systems and those keyboards were like that they were tanks they were mechanical you it, they just you knew when you pressed a key and it just became what I'm comfortable with and I, I that's why I like current mechanical keyboards over chiclets and the rubber domes is it just feels right a buddy of mine and me went to tour what would be our college campus um, before our freshman year. And sheer luck, there was a trash dumpster bin, whatever, parked outside a building, and they were obviously cleaning out old computer equipment. And in that dumpster was a row of IBM Model M uh, keyboards, 101 key keyboards. And he and I both walked away with a handful of keyboards. And those things are heavy. And to this day, I still type on a 1988 Model M keyboard I pulled out of that dumpster. <laughs> and and see, that's why I say I, I feel like, because for me, I mean, I really learned to program on that, on that G4 Mac, uh, MacBook Pro uh, or G4 Pro, whatever they were called back in the day. Um power books uh and so that i guess that's why for me that's the reason a model key or a uh, a mechanical keyboard just doesn't you know i feel it i mean i use it and it's like oh, okay whatever but i i love the the short travel of the chiclet keyboard because i guess that's what i've was used to and i've just always stayed uh, you know on that path or or sit to uh, with a similar keys uh key feel yeah and i started on my my parents had whatever the, the predecessor or the, the successor to the IBM Selectric typewriter was. So we had, a, we had a typewriter at the house when I was a kid and it was one of the, the big clunky IBM ones that made, like you could feel the whole desk vibrate when you hit a key. It was, it was awesome. Oh, those Selectrics are all wonderful, wonderful, awesome things. I wish I had. And one. when I was using a computer, it was the Apple, Apple extended keyboard too. So I was very heavily into the mechanical things as a kid. And then rubber dome became cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and that became the thing you found everywhere like those those horrible like nine dollar dell keyboards that are ubiquitous on college campuses they were everywhere um and i can't stand that the feel so as soon as i was able to get you know, i was making enough money professionally to actually buy a real keyboard i was like hang on i can buy something that has the real key switches is usb isn't garbage and i found one that was you know 50 or 60 bucks on mono price on sale because i'm still not I hadn't really committed to the hipster lifestyle yet. And Cherry MX Blue was exactly what I wanted in terms of key feel and having a little bit of audible feedback as you typed. Um, Ken, you were in the cube next to me at the time. And you were <laughs> I was going to say. Hesitant. <laughs> you were hesitant about my, my, my purchase decision at that point. He brought that keyboard in and I told him <laughs> to take that shit back home. <laughs> Yeah. Not that I, not that I didn't respect the decision because I had one too, but I didn't have the click. <laughs> and having being in the cube next to that was unpleasant at times. 
And I mean, but, it could be worse. The like the old IBM keyboards, the old old ones, um, when they were first switching off of typewriters and onto mainframes, IBM that was decided. Model F. Yeah, well, IBM decided that the keyboards weren't loud enough. They they didn't have they didn't replicate the feel correctly, and the typists would get either confused or not like it. And so they had solenoids attached to oh. the internal mechanics. So when you typed, yeah. it actually had a little mechanical plunger that moved back and forth, operated by a magnet, because that's how solenoids work. And it made a big chunking noise. So you had that whole. It was trying to replicate the feel of a typewriter. Um, I'll throw a link into the show notes about a video of an IBM um, fifty two fifty one keyboard. And you can hear the solenoid going back and forth, and it is extraordinary. If my office mate had that, I'd, right, but I'd back, shoot them. Back in the day, people weren't in cubes on top of each other. What do you mean back um, in the day? That sounds like right now. Well, right now they're all working at home. <laughs> okay, well, pre, pre-COVID. pre <laughs> You know, open open office layout, I mean. But honestly, one of, the, one of the, the side effects of COVID that is good, bad, I don't know, um, the do-it-yourself keyboard community has taken this looks like people have free time again like they're at home all the time and we may as well capitalize on this and the customized keyboard market has gone absolutely bazonkers um, well, a lot of companies instead of sending stuff home said here's a budget get what you need and therefore people can you know purchase the keyboard they want not the one that the it department assigned to them yeah, and they're not worried about how loud it is and the things that you're working yeah. at home and all that. But just looking, I was looking through in prep for this art, this episode, I was looking through an article that had like lots of different switches you can buy. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, Terry, I'm actually, you've got the the blue, the black, the red, the clear, the whatever, the browns. Um, and then there's the kale and the gatorons and they're all kind of similar. But there's there's so many different kinds of key keycaps or yeah. key switches like it, you're just paging through, paging through, paging through lists of these things. So whatever it is you like, whatever particular profile in terms of tactility or linearness or weight of the spring or sound, you can get basically anything you want if they're in stock. And if you know what you, they actually feel like. I mean, coming from a buckle spring world, I don't know what any of these keys feel like unless I can get them yeah. under my fingers. And that's the downside is, you know, you got all this stuff you have to order. And if you haven't touched one, you don't really know what you're in for. It's hard. Um, and that's why I, I have both the two, uh, two mechanical keyboards I have are both Cherry MX. They're both um, blacks. And I got no problem with it. That's, you know, there might be something better. But until I put my hands on it, because the, the downside of this is custom keyboards ain't cheap. Oh, no, they're not. And you went linear switches. Yeah, those give me tennis elbow. Yeah, and that's, I think that's probably another reason why I haven't, I mean, maybe I would enjoy one of these switch types, uh, but the cost to try them out or test them out is just, it's insane. I can't, you know, I'm not going to commit a couple hundred dollars and then go, oh, I don't like this keyboard, and then go spend another couple hundred dollars on another keyboard, so. Well, you can get switch testers. I have one in my hand. What, what did you get, Jack? What was the, the tester? We'll so I got the little switch it. tester from uh, WASD, since they are a purveyor of custom mechanical keyboards, and they're quite expensive. Uh, but the little tester was like 20 bucks, I think. And it has nine different key switches, so you can at least, you know, press on the things and make there you some go. There you go. informed guess. I don't know. I've not yeah, really will- found this very helpful. I was going to say, it won't hmm. be 
as good as having an entire keyboard to type on, but at least you can hear it and kind of feel a little bit of it instead of just reading people's, you know, flowery descriptions about whatever. And the YouTube videos where somebody records them typing on one of these keyboards is not representative of the feel you're going to have when you type on that keyboard. Right. Yeah, with working from home, the audio the part of it isn't a big deal anymore. So, yeah, Brendan can have his blues and it's okay now. But it's what it feels like. That's really not I, what it sounds like. Yeah. And the ones I have are actually really cheap. Other than the fact that they're Cherry MX keys. The rest of it is cheap. Um, one I got off a of mono price for 50 bucks. It is Cherry MX keys. Nice. So interestingly, um, a lot of the, the higher end hipster boards now have um, swappable sockets. So you can, if you buy a keyboard and you don't like that the space bar is using a particular key switch, you can take the key cap off and then take the key switch out and replace it with something else. Not just hot swap it without having to solder or anything. You just do it. Um, and this allows you to, for less than the price of the entire keyboard, replace either individually failing switches, which does happen from time to time, or swap out all of them or the number pads or the arrows or whatever it is you're, you're trying to do. So that is a possibility at this point. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Switches fail. Yes, <laughs> they do. I, yes, they do. I, I've only had switches fail after somebody, you know, uh, uses my IBM model M to defend their life against an intruder. <laughs> I, I had a, uh, Jerry MX keyboard and I had a switch fail and I eBayed a handful of switches now my solder skills are horrible. Um, I had a friend who is an excellent has very good solder scale skills replace it for me because I botched it the first try. Um, but it was yeah it was I mean honestly even at my crappy skill level I almost got it right. It's reasonably simple. There's just three contacts and they you know it's easy to to do it. Um, having sockets would be even better because yes they do fail. Yeah, my hip might has sockets. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, and but you're some something tells me that doesn't come free. Oh no! <laughs> um, if, if you're building your own keyboard, um, getting the little socket things is less than a dollar per key, which is it sounds reasonable until you realize you know that a lot of these keyboards have eighty, ninety, a hundred keys on them. Maybe that's like, why oh. people are going for the sixty percent keyboards now. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the different sizes of keyboards because you hear a lot of people toss around like 60% or 80% or 40% keyboards or whatever. And it doesn't make a lot of sense if you don't know what the base is. So if you picture in your head like an old Model M or like the, well, I guess Model M's are actually a few, a few smaller keys. but The Model the old, M's are 101. But yeah, like the full size standard like PC keyboard from the aughts or the early, um, the late 90s. They're either 104 or 105 key keyboards, depending on the exact layout of them. So this is where you have a number pad off to the right. You've got a full set of arrow keys. You've got like page up, page down, whatever above the arrow keys. You have F a keys Windows all the way across key, the top of the board. Key, a function key. And that's considered 100%, even though there are keyboards that have more keys. Um, if you are really a sadist, you can get one of the Sun Type 5 or Type 6 keyboards that have 16 keys to the left of the the main key cluster that have other functions on them, like the compose key and the break key and other interesting things. Um, but they're really terrible keyboards. They're all rubber dome and they're, they're just awful. So all right, I, I avoid staying I, away from that. 
in the late 90s, I, had, I worked at Gateway 2000, and they sold the Gateway Any Key keyboard. was part of what they sold. And it, it was rubber dome, but it was pretty good quality for a rubber dome. But it had a full set of function keys to the left of the main set of keys, as well as the row across the top. It had diagonal arrows. So instead of the T, it had nine with the center being another enter. And the key codes it admitted was left and right, you know, like left and then up quickly. Um, but it was programmable, which was why I loved it so much. Um, you And programmable without the OS. The keyboard did it itself. And you could assign macros to keys and everything else. But it was a massive, and I don't know the key count, but it had a lot more keys than normal. Um, so Wikipedia I, tells me it's 124 key. Yeah, I loved it. I, I After I left the company, for years, if I ever saw one come up on, on eBay or Craigslist or anything, I bought them, and I had a stack in the closet. But they were rubber domes, and they failed all the time, and there was nothing you could do about it. And, and once the rubber dome starts to go, you're you're done. Yeah. And eventually I had I bled my supply dry and new ones were outrageous and that's when I discovered mechanicals. But anyways, I I know I digress, but they they were much larger than the 104s and 101s. Yes, yeah, so, so back to the, the 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 standard layouts. The the 10 keyless layout is just basically emits the number pad off to the far right. So you have your arrow keys and you have your page up and page down, but you have basically 87 keys for a full-size keyboard. You still have function keys. The 75% emits the arrow key section. 60% drops the function keys off the top. And then this is where you really get into the hipster programmable stuff because you have to start finding ways to simulate or get into modes so you can use function keys somehow or media keys or whatever it is that you're, you're trying to get back to. They're really popular because they're small and they're lightweight. So if you're like a, if you're a road warrior and you have a Bluetooth one with a battery and you want to be able to pack it into a laptop bag with you, cutting off extra keys cuts off extra weight and cuts off extra size. So that's really helpful. Um, but then you get down to the 40% keyboard, which is the super hipster keyboard, as I like to think of it. And there is no number keys across the top. There is no arrow keys. It's basically the letter layout a couple of function like macro keys like shift control that kind of thing and then layer keys so you can hop up and down layers and change what the keys actually do um oh and usually the space bar is either the width of two keys or just a regular key width like a, a regular letter key and you have to really really want to use them yeah okay. uh i i have to say Getting, I I understand the size reduction, especially if you're you're on the road. But man, does that sound horrible to use for day in and day out use? And I think there's this whole movement around minimalism and small input devices and no cables and clean looking desktops that I think is really popular and and encourages you know the forty percent boards that are Bluetooth and battery powered and some of this ecosystem that has been built around these crazy custom keyboards. I'm sorry. I, still think I just got crazy. better things to do with my time than 
<laughs> what it's going to take to get comfortable with that. And and I get that, you know, you can get used to anything because the current, you know, our normal keyboard layout was what made sense for mechanical arm type, typewriters. Um, so. And standardized by the Model M. Yeah. So I, I understand the, the, the goals and everything else. It's the thing is that, that is what do you do when you don't have yours and you have to go back to a regular one. Yeah. And that, that's the hard part. Um, you always have a spare happy hacker keyboard in your backpack. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I would love to say that the 40% keyboards are 40% of the price of the hundred percent keyboards, but they are not. Um, generally they're made by smaller companies that have um, less profit margin to, to burn. So they're, they're very pricey. They're, they're very well built, but they're very pricey. So you have to really want to do it. On the other side, there's a different, um, split for lack of a better word that I have fallen down the rabbit hole of, which is ergonomic keyboards. And I am, I am a tall individual and I have very large hands and I don't like having my shoulders crowded together when I'm typing. And I had assumed that that was just the way it had to be all of the time. Until a friend of mine at last job, um, who actually was a guest on this, on this, epi- on this podcast, a couple episodes ago, um, he was talking about his Ergodox, which is a split ortholinear keyboard. And after doing a lot of research and agonizing about, should I build one? Should I buy one? I, I bought one. I didn't try to do the soldering mess. And it allows the left and the right halves of the keyboard to be shoulder width apart. So I can sit with my arms completely relaxed and my shoulders completely like they're, they're not pulled forward at all it does take relearning to relearn how to type on it because it it's breaking years and years of mental training oh, and the swearing brendan did oh yes <laughs> um it's also because why make anything easy it's also ortholinear so instead of having the keys staggered across each other they're in a vertical grid um which also means that when you're typing things are not where your fingers think they are so that was a challenge but now that I've gotten used to it, I feel a lot better in terms of my, my, the physicality of typing and working. And I am just as fast, if not faster than I was before. And I've got a cool keyboard that, that lights up and costs me a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> That's all anyone There's ever the key. needed. That was the, that was the goal. Yeah, it, it wasn't cheap. I'll, I'll throw a link to the show notes, but it, it wasn't cheap. So my recent story about losing keyboard Nirvana was again, changing jobs and having the company issued Mac and got to work from the Mac. And I really don't want to set up two different workstations at the house. That's, you know, my machine and another workstation for the work machine. I invested a lot of money in building a nice office and desk. So how do I make, you know, these two machines work together? And the Linux machine was not very compatible with the Mac machine. No PS2 ports. And so I invested in a USB switch and started looking at USB keyboards. I bought the Keychron uh, K8, which is not a bad board. Um, But I made the mistake of buying the Reds and literally got tennis elbow. I moved from there to the Keychron C1 with, with the blues, which worked so much better the keys would click before they actuated and I eventually threw it at the wall. <laughs> and I bought a Unicomp board, which is the company in Lexington that still manufactures buckling spring keyboards based off the original Model M's. 
and they recently came out with a new Model M model. Wow. So hang on, hang on. You're, you're, you're telling me that you spent over $100 on a <laughs> brand new keyboard that is effectively 45 years old. They have recently replaced their machinery and toolage so the keyboard doesn't suck like some of the other Unicomp keyboards. And it's oh, actually okay. Okay. quite reasonable to type on, surprisingly. If I was stranded on a desert island, it would do. I'm just messing with you. But, yeah, eventually I finally got a little USB device called a Soros converter off of eBay, which we'll link in the show notes, which is a PS2 to USB converter that understands and properly properly implements the key rollover, which is the big problem I have with the PS2 to USB converters out there. And that converter is also programmable. So I can move the caps lock key to be hyper or command on a Mac. And now I can use my Model M again. And I'm, you know, back to where I was after spending, I don't know how much money on these crazy keyboards that I hate. And I appreciate your dedication to, you have found a thing that you like and like all these things, like keyboards are wear devices that eventually will wear out. So you don't want to rely on something that is 40 years old and just say, hey, it's, it's going to keep on working. It'll keep on working forever because eventually it's going to break. So right. finding a way to replace it with modern parts or a modern thing that actually can give you another 20 or 30 years, hopefully, is a sensible thing to do. There is a project on the internet that is building and selling new, quote unquote, Model F keyboards. And so they've literally figured out how to manufacture the old zinc cases and rebuild the the buckling spring capacitive switches. And they've done an incredibly faithful job about reproducing uh, the key feel and the, the heft and build quality of those keyboards from the 70s. And they've adjusted the layout. And I think this is you know, kind of why they get popular. They've adjusted, because those layouts on the Model F keyboards are kind of weird. They've readjusted the layout so it kind of builds out a 60% or a happy hacker keyboard layout. And really, I I almost bought one because I was desperate for a keyboard that didn't suck that I could plug into a USB switch into Mac. But $400? Granted, it's a zinc case. But then I finally realized that I just don't think that I could deal with some of the keyboard layout choices. And the fact that the tilde key became the escape key and the back tick and tilde key was on the function layer. I use that key a lot. Well, one of the things that I love about my crazy hipster keyboard is that literally everything is reprogrammable. There are no limits about what you can map to where. And because of this, they've set all the keycaps to be transposable to anywhere else on the keyboard. So if you wanted to to go to Dvorak and actually move the keys around, you can do that. If you wanted to do any other bizarro configuration, and I think you can do 10 or 15 layers, not that you could keep track of that because you would lose your mind, but there, like some keyboards that claim to be programmable, like you can't touch the base layer. You can do a layer on top of it and change things on the upper layer. But the, the software that comes to configure the Ergodox keyboards is web-based. You go to the, the web interface, you, you poke around, you remap your keys, 
you save the firmware to disk and then you flash your keyboard with it and you've got new firmware and it does exactly what you want and it's magical. And the new Model F keyboards have a modern controller that support full programmability in multiple layers. And, you know, for $400, how deep down the rabbit hole do I want to go? And really, I just want my M back. So if folks are interested in making their own keyboards, um, I warn you right now that it is a dark and expensive rabbit hole to go down. Even worse in some ways than buying hipster keyboards that are fully assembled. Um, But Keeb.io has a bunch of um, pre-printed circuit boards and things and cases and whatever to get split and ortholinear and small form factor and all kinds of other keyboards there. So you have somebody else has done a lot of the heavy lifting for getting the traces laid out correctly and the resistors in the right place and all the things you would want and the controller uh, microchips and everything else. So you can, you can do the things you wanted to do. They were during the the start of the pandemic, they had very limited supply and things were selling out constantly. I think they've got their supply chain a little bit better worked out. So I'll throw a link to the show for them as well, because I am eyeing building myself a Nyquist keyboard at this point. Not that I really need another keyboard, but it looks interesting. So I'm, I'm looking at doing that. Hi, Alice. How are you? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, I think as much as I enjoy having a nice keyboard, I just don't have the time. Well, I take that back. I don't have the inclination to go there. And it looks cool. And I, I mean, I've seen, you know, some watch some of the videos about the layers and, and the 40% keyboards. And if you want to, it looks like, you know, something you could have a hobby out of. And it takes, I'm sure it takes time to learn and get used to it. And, you know, that you will. Oh, if I was, you know, bored out of my mind and wanted to make a buck on the side, making custom keyboard cables and, and other custom USB style cables for folks is relatively easy and straightforward if you've got the tools and the supplies and you can sell those cables for 50 bucks a pop. Are you going to make monster cables? No, I believe they would sue. (laughs) But I'm going to make the the gold one that I can sell on Amazon and, you know, your keyboard will work faster. My fiber is gold-plated, though. (laughs) It eliminates I, typing errors. I saw gold-plated tossling cables years ago, and I was like, but but they're... It's, it's optical. It's... Mm. So I know. Yeah, I know. Um, seen those two? Oh, God. But I'm also... Last thing on the keyboards, I'm going to throw a link into the show notes of a YouTube channel, uh, Cryosan22, who has done... He's a German fellow, and he is very funny, and he has a great voice, and he has done hundreds of videos about keyboards so if you're looking for either obscure or interesting or really bad keyboards um there's some really specially bad ones that he's done reviews of and some um, snide it, comments about uh imperial measurement systems oh yeah he also hates ergonomic keyboards hates 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 them um but he's funny and a good resource if you're trying to to understand some of the depths of especially mechanical keyboard weirdness I guess that wraps it up, right? That's the only thing we use to to input with our computers, so we can be done that's there, right. right? Yeah. Uh, no, because I'm an, I'm, an, I'm an i3 user, and so I just use the keyboard all the time. <laughs> that's that's right. Hey, Ken, tell us about your balls. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> as as so, here's where I go: is I I don't like mice. 
I don't like having to run my hand all over the table. I'm a slob. There's always crap all over my desk. I start moving, having to move the mouse bump into things. I use trackballs. And huge ones. The Kensington Expert Mouse. I love that they call their trackball a mouse. Trackballs. And it's... I, you don't move. I just find it so much more comfortable. And I can set acceleration where... One quick swipe, it'll spin and take the the pointer all the way across the you know multiple screens. I'm a huge fan, and I have multiple ones. I have one same one at work that I have at home. I don't put a link in the show notes to the specific model. I've looked at trackballs multiple times as a more comfortable option for you know my mousing, and I've never quite gotten into them. I've never quite figured out. I love the scroll wheel on the mouse. I can't live without the scroll ah, wheel. So the expert mouse has a wheel around the ball that is a scroll wheel. It has the scroll wheel. I don't. So don't have don't have to give up, give that up to get the rest of the goodness. Nice. I'm, I'm confused how that works. So like the the trackball, the big heavy ball sits right. in the middle of the. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's got four buttons at the diagonal pointers, mm-hmm. a huge ball in the center, and around mm-hmm. the ball is a is a narrow wheel that is the scroll wheel. It's kind of like a, like a jog wheel, like it's a circular. Yeah. It's okay. circular, and you know, one direction it, you'll get used to it, but it's all, you get to the way you hold it. My first two fingers are on the mouse. Ring finger is on the scroll. And I can do both at the same time easily. Man, what do you do with four buttons? I only need three. <laughs> I have two that are mapped <laughs> to the same thing. <laughs> there you go. Redundancy. <laughs> yeah. So my brother swore by the, the, I think the predecessor to this, the Turbo Mouse? Yeah. Um, There was a trackpad that was popular in the in the 90s and i remember at one point he'd realized that pool table balls were the same size but they were heavier (laughs) (laughs) and so he dropped it like an eight ball like an actual pool table eight ball into his trackpad trackball whatever thing and that's awesome yeah like you'd spin that thing and it would go it would it had a lot of momentum to it so yeah, these the balls are quite heavy and will can have some momentum and will spin. Um, and it's uh, it, the ball is uh, it's got flex in the it looks like it's metallic and has flex and it uses an optical sensor f- similar to what's on the bottom of uh, of mice for reading and it it's fantastic and won't wear out. Yep. Didn't Logitech uh, get into a bunch of trouble with some of their trackpads, trackballs? Wasn't there a uh, lawsuit? Mm-hmm. Didn't follow that as well. Yeah. Tell us more. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But these things do last. My two are uh, 15 years old and day-to-day use and still going strong. How do you, do you have any feelings about the... It looks like a mouse, 
that has a smaller trackball off to the side. So like you could you could leave your hand in one place and like put your right. thumb on the trackball kind of thing yeah. and like use your thumb to navigate. They similar thing. I just found this one I the momentum with the larger ball that you can get going. I like this one a lot and you can set the sensitivity so that with the bigger bigger surface to move and you can really get to some nice for um, painting and other stuff where you're really good sensitivity settings, which would seem would be harder with that smaller one. Fair enough. I was just curious. Um, the last trackball that I used, um, I think was the giant, log- uh, the, the turbo mouse. So it's been a yeah. long time. And I've looked at several of the, of the Logitech ones. I just like, I haven't that, moved on that. I don't have to move around. I love it that, you know, it sits in one place. I put my hand there. It, it, There's no movement involved. Oh, yeah. And since that, you know, before referenced uh, a tennis elbow, it would be nice to have a, a vertical or a stationary mouse. So anyways, and, you know, that, you know, we we're talking about the work and how that factors into things and job changes. For me, it's been going to a new office and with moving overseas and how long our stuff took to us, I had no choice but to use whatever I could scrounge up at the office when I was in the office. And it sucked. Because once you get used to using the one you like, all other options suck. Yeah, I bet taking a Model M through the TSA wouldn't end well. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, you have to check weapons. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'll need to put that in a locked case. And for trackpads, I haven't played around with too many, other, too many other input devices. Now, my wife is a photographer and uses a um, Wacom tablet and has gotten to where she uses that for all mouse-related stuff, and she never touches her mouse anymore. I, I was going to actually say, my, my wife has the Apple Pencil for her iPad, and there's a lot of times where she'll actually use that to navigate instead of using her finger or um, she also has the a, a keyboard or, or mouse connected to it, she'll use the, the, uh, the pencil as her finger. So I got to use um, Apple's new magic trackpad craziness case for the iPad Pro. A friend of mine has the new iPad Pro and the new case thing. And it makes the iPad into a laptop. Like there's a pointer on the screen. You can just use the trackpad on, on the keyboard thing. It's kind of bizarre how immediately it just becomes a laptop running iOS. Yes. The, I hate trackpads with an absolute burning passion. Apple makes yeah. ones that aren't terrible, but I hate trackpads. Yeah. Yeah, we, we both have those for our iPads. Uh, I have high hopes for iPadOS uh, 15. I'm considering it for my next laptop replacement of just getting an iPad with a with the magic keyboard and trackpad. I find it's that portable. I just don't don't use the laptop for as much that I need the horsepower and the functionality for anymore. Yeah, when I want power, I come to my desk. Yeah. Um, although I was using one of the kids' Chromebooks the other day, they've got we we got them Chromebooks at the start of the pandemic, but because well they're kids, we got them inexpensive Chromebooks, and the keyboards are so bad. Like think of the worst the yeah. worst rubber dome keyboard you've ever used. This is worse than that. 
it, it feels like it's just one big rubber mush that you're pushing into. Ugh. Anyway, I wanted to touch very briefly on output. Um, I know a lot of folks have, especially under Apple's um, tutelage, adopted Retina or high DPI displays. I have still resisted that. I I appreciate when I see it, but I don't care as I don't care enough. So all the screens in my office, literally all of them, I can. I have eight screens in here. Some of them are connected, some of them aren't. Folks, note how long it wow. took to count to them. Um, none of them are Retina. They are all regular, oh. standard, you know, bloody casual displays. As the you're making would call Jared it. squirm. I I have gone Retina, and I can't go back. I don't know how you can stare at at a screen like that for eight hours a day. I mean, I stare, I stare at three of them for eight hours a day. <laughs> <you know. laughs> That was a change for me with making a workstation that did both Linux and a MacBook Pro is I had to have, you know, a video device that worked with both. And I ended up going from dual HD, standard HD displays, which I loved, I loved, I loved, to a single 4K display. Because um, I really think the Macs um, are set in a way so that they encourage you to use a 4K display or better. I think they, they do. purposely make the fonts look poorer on lower resolution screens. Because my Linux machine on an HD standard display has better fonts. And that says a lot. But I've decided or discovered that the 4K display actually works pretty well for both Linux and the MacBook. And it is a little bit easier to stare at all day. There are some Linuxisms about supporting uh, high DPI, like, you know, old versions of Audacity, um, but most applications support it or support true type fonts and you can just make the fonts bigger. I've, my display was given to me by work and it's a 4K. I don't use it with, the Mac, I, my work laptop is Linux, and it's also in use with my Linux desktop at full resolution. And it's going to be really hard to ever go back. Well, I won't. If I have to give the monitor back for some reason, I'm getting my own. Okay. <laughs> uh, That's the spirit. I, I've gotten too used to it. Um, and, yeah, there occasionally I'll launch something that doesn't look quite right. But, like you said, you can usually play around with fonts or something and get it squared away. Yeah. For me, I, I don't like messing with those things in terms of oh, trying I hate to messing with those things to yeah. get it all balanced out. And three of my displays are old, 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 old Apple H cinema HD 30 inch displays from 2004. And yes, they are 200 watt light bulbs um, <laughs> each, but the color clarity is amazing. They are gigantic. Um, they're very even-tempered. They are all very similar to each other in terms of output. You're not trying to calibrate them to get them all to balance out each other. And they're massive. I, For me, real estate is more important than pixel density. So all the 4K monitors, yeah, you, you have a lot of pixel density, and you, it looks really sharp and really clean. But the the logical resolution that you can use is smaller than, these, than my 30-inch displays. So I use the 30-inch displays because they're they're beautiful. 
I don't know. I have a single 43-inch display. I find That's that, a TV. <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> I find I have to turn my head sometimes for things. So, I don't I find it's got enough physical real estate. Man. I mean, I figure eventually I can just get a projector and project my screen onto the blank <laughs> wall over my desk. There you go. When I'm totally so, blind. So I know, I know that you're joking, but I looked at that in seriousness for my home office and projector resolution to get one that is high enough resolution. You may as well just buy high end television. They're like, yeah, they're not cheap. Yeah. And I mean, then, and then you got to worry about ambient light. To make yeah. It work well. And the bulbs and the replacement of the running yeah. costs. It, it, I love the idea of a projector and a, you know, a 15 foot screen, but it's not, it's just not cost effective. Yeah, I will say this, my screen was, it's a work assignment. There's no way I'm, I'm buying this myself. Um, but that being said, I like it. 15 foot screen extending out from the back (laughs) of your desk. (laughs) Yeah. And Jack, you mentioned a minute ago about the peripherals in terms of like when you travel and you can't bring stuff with you. Um, I have a real hard time when I am traveling for work and I'm expected to work on a tiny little 16 inch display. I hate working from a laptop. God, I would love a 16 inch display. I get 13. (laughs) Yeah. I I can't do it anymore. Hardly. I'm so used to having multiple 27 or 30 inch displays all the time. And I just, yeah, I use tabs and I use virtual workspaces and all those things, but I also have, Dozens of browser windows open, each with dozens of tabs and editors and all kinds of other things up and going all the time. And when you're on a tiny little laptop screen, I don't care how big the laptop is, you can't make a laptop with a 30-inch screen, much less two of them. I'm one of those people that has to pay to see. And with a laptop, no matter how high resolution and big the screen is, I end up hunched over and staring at it really closely and everything's too small and it hurts in multiple places. And, you know, I can do that for a few days or a week um, if I'm traveling, but yeah, I, I have to have a workstation where I do most of my work from. Yeah. And speaking of retinas and Linux, I love the console when on your laptop, when something goes haywire and you have to go to character mode. Oh, Linux. 2021, the year of the Linux desktop, right? <laughs> sure. It's got to be one of those years. you fitting six desktops on one screen, yes. <laughs> yeah, contrary, contrary to what we always say about it, it's DNS. Well, with Linux, it's the audio. Don't even, don't even get me started <laughs> on that. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah, I did, uh, since I took my laptop to the office... I couldn't get audio squared away. I did all my calls using my phone. Big machines yeah, in front of me and everything else, and I'm doing Zoom on the phone because I couldn't get the freaking audio. I can tell if Linux audio was working by the way Brendan swears. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and coworkers. We would also appreciate folks taking the time to rate the show in Overcast, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory. Additionally, we welcome feedback about shows you've recorded or topics you'd like us to cover. Leave us a comment on the website at operations.fm or send us your thoughts on email, feedback at operations.fm. 
And that wraps it up for this episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Ken Mink. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. Thanks, and good night. Linux audio is the worst. It's just, it's the worst. <laughs> it, but now it, you have wire pipes. Hey, why don't we have another standard? That'll fix all yeah, the problems. I don't, don't change it again. Fix. It is fixing it. We swear.